Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Thursday Morning Envy Pro Call. Today is Thursday, December 14th, and I'd like to welcome those of you that are here live, as well as those of you listening to this via recording, which, of course, you can do by subscribing to Motor Vitality on whatever podcast application you happen to use, or by visiting MotorVitality.com, where you can listen to years and years and years worth of archives. Love having you on live, though. I um, want to apologize a little bit for my my voice, a little, little under the weather today, but we are trucking along and uh, super excited about about uh, the call today. Um, you know, periodically, as some of you know, we, we have guest speakers that come on, and, and so I'll skip the, the normal uh, routine that we, we go through during the, um, you know, at the beginning of the call, but but um and and jump right in and and introduce our guest um one of the things that i really love about this industry and we've talked about this on this call before and just other places is is just how wide it spread what we do impacts things um out there in our world and it's it's so funny how you know so many of us even in, in that aren't in the industry, especially you know that walk through day by day and 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 we just sort of take things for granted, you know. But even in the industry, um, we all tend to I think get wrapped up in our own expertise and in our own bubbles in what we do, and so it's always fascinating to me to meet someone that is an expert or works in an area of of our industry that I never even thought of, you know, that I that I have seen and you know, you just sort of don't you just don't even think about it. I don't know if there's any anything that you guys run have run across like this, but but the last couple of days I've had the opportunity to work with a gentleman named Dan Connor from a company called Flavorex and I'll let you I'll let Dan in a minute um tell everybody what Flavorex does and how it relates to this industry. But um, it's just really been interesting to, you know, to, to learn about just how much our industry impacts just everything out there and just how much about this. I mean, after a quarter of a century doing this, there's just so much that I don't know about about our industry still. And it's one of the things that I love about it. It's just learning about it. So I want to, I want to introduce our guest today. Um, this is uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a conversation here with Dan Connor. Um, Dan has been with the company called FlavorX for the last 18 years. He actually graduated uh, with a journalism degree uh, prior to that, and and uh, um, I'll actually let him tell you a little bit more of his background here in a minute. But um, Dan is a certified water specialist and a certified installer. Um, through WQA, he also has the ASSE um, twelve one two zero eight zero certification for Legionella water safety. Um, so, welcome, Dan. Thanks for thanks for joining us and, and agreeing to come on and, and have a conversation with us this morning. Well, thank you, Kelly. I appreciate it, and I appreciate everybody's time. Um, it's uh, exciting to be here in Western Michigan with you to learn a, a whole whole lot more about the, uh, the side of the water industry that really we don't uh, we don't get to touch. Um, but I'll give you a, a rundown about FlavorX and how that even relates remotely to the water industry because it, it wouldn't seem like it does. But um, what FlavorX does is uh, add 
flavoring agent to medicines behind the counter at retail pharmacies. So as a parent, if you go up and, and you know that your, your kids struggle to take amoxicillin or augmentin or what, what have you, um, you have the opportunity to pick your child's favorite flavor, where if your child is with you, they can pick you know, bubblegum, grape, or what have you. Uh, and then behind the counter, the pharmacist adds that flavoring agent while they're um, putting the water into the medication. So the, the medication itself will be in powder form sitting on the shelf. As soon as you add the water, that's when the expiration date begins, basically your two-week expiration. So that's why that's why they don't add the water ahead of time because if you know, it takes you a day or two to, to swing by your local pharmacy, then it would be uh, the expiration date would, would be running already. <clears throat> so um, in the beginning, it was just traveling around to your local pharmacy, CVS, Rite Aid, Walgreens, and getting them set up with this this flavoring agent, and um, it was really a manual process. They had to use a dropper to put these flavors in, then they had to use a, a gallon jug of distilled water and pour it into a graduated cylinder, measure out the right amount, and, and put it into the drug and shake it up. And it took all in all probably you know in the three to five minute range, which you know it doesn't seem like a long time, but if you're doing ten or fifteen of these prescriptions a day, it then adds up, you know, especially when the the pharmacist is busy and they're they're an employee that's probably making 80 an hour, 80 or 100 an hour. So if we can shave a couple of minutes per off of of each one of those transactions, it really uh, equates to some real money for, for these chain pharmacies. So um, the way the water part comes into play is uh, we have an RO system in these pharmacies under the sink, residential size, four-stage RO that um, ends up feeding a manual dispenser on the wall. And Kelly and I got to take a little field trip to a CVS to kind of get a visual. It's about, if you can picture, two feet tall and a foot and a half wide that's on the wall in the, um, basically in the workflow of the pharmacy staff. And so this box will um, automatically dispense the amount of water and automatically dispense the amount of flavor. So it, it takes a, a five-minute process from, you know, five or ten years ago and, and knocks it down to, 30 to you know 40 seconds worth of worth of time so um so for the consumer the advantage is it's easier for the pharmacy to do so they're more likely to offer it and say hey why don't you why don't you get your kids uh, augmenting bubblegum flavor or raspberry flavor today because now it's not a real pain in the butt process to do so um but recently the the water um, specs have changed so um, forever, it, uh, it just said that they needed to use purified water. Uh, most stores just used a bottle of distilled from um, their front store shelf, or if they were in a hospital facility like an outpatient pharmacy, they had to run to their local store and, and buy a gallon of water. Um, but now there is a regulating um, board called the United States Pharmacopoeia, and they put some stipulations about what purified water really is. And this has all come about in the last uh, three or four years uh, it's non-binding. There's no uh, there's no fine if they don't follow it, but um, but USP really is the, the gold standard. So the pharmacies want to to follow this. So um, so right now for purified water, it has to be 1.3 microsiemens or below in conductivity, and for bacteria it has to be below 100 colony forming units. Um, so on RO alone hitting the the conductivity just wouldn't happen based on uh, on their incoming um, TDS, you know, in different locations around the country. So, uh, so when that came into play, we had to add in uh, a deionizing filter, 
drop the uh, the conductivity down to to within spec um, and size that for the amount of water that they're using. So when you guys are talking about water, you're talking about you know gallons per minute. These pharmacies are using milliliters per day, which is you know the complete other end of the spectrum, which has its own challenges as well because uh, you know bacteria tend to grow if, if equipment is just sitting stagnant. So if they're they're only using 50 ml of water in a day, that water is really just sitting there for you know close to 23 and, and three quarters of an hour just sitting stagnant. So um, so for the bacteria side, we ended up going with a, a, a UF bundle right before the, the machine 0.02 micron to hold back you know whatever would have been growing in the tank, any biofilm in the tank or the or the tubing between the RO and, and the machine. And and that helped, it got it close, but uh, but not always hitting 100 CFU. So uh, we had to take that a little step further, and we went. One of the vendors that we found at the WQA conference has a uh, UVC LED reactor that's a little bit bigger than a golf ball, uh, has three ace stem in and the three ace stem out, and we actually use that as our dispensing tip, the three ace stem out. So when the water turns on, it turns on the the reactor, uh, zaps the water as it goes through the the actual nozzle into the drug, and then as soon as the, the water solenoid in our machine turns off, the, the LED turns off. And uh, and that's really worked well for, for bacteria. We've had some some tanks that have been, you know, out in the field six, seven, eight years, and, and if you just test the water off of it, you'll come up with 30,000 CFU, um, and it'll drop it down into, you know, the, the 9 or 10 CFU range. So, um, so that's really working well. Um, for the, the bacteria side of it. Um, and kind of the way I got into it is right out of, out of college, I, I started with this company as more on the sales side, selling the, the, the flavorings to um, independent pharmacies. They had some sales guys that, that sold to the actual chain, but we're not really going door to door. They'll sell to you know a CVS in batches of 100 or 500 machines or, or units. Um, and they you know, would go to NACDS, which is National Association of Chain Drug Stores, and that'll be our big uh, convention for the year, sales sales convention, kind of like going to WQA for, um, for our industry. And there you get to meet with, with everybody, all your CVSs and Walgreens and um, you know, Kroger's, those, those type of folks that have retail pharmacies. Um, but we also sell to, to the, what we call the mom and pop, your independent pharmacies that are, that are in every town. And those are the ones that, that actually do the best with the system because they're they're paying for it out of their pocket, and they they want this machine and and this investment to to work and make them money, um, you know, build up their customer base and have people either bring their scripts to them or keep their scripts with them. So I was telling Kelly yesterday that CVS knows every time a mom walks into a CVS, they're going to spend on average twenty five bucks, and every time yeah. they walk into a Target, they're going to spend seventy five bucks. So that's that's their advantage. That's the reasoning for wanting to to get you. To bring your script to them, you know you're gonna you're gonna see that sale on the end cap, and you're gonna you're gonna spend money. So um, I thought that was kind of uh, interesting. So I, you had, you'd mentioned to me that a lot of the stores were moving um, out of the you know out of the the, the in with, from being within the stores and, and building their own stores so they could have drive-throughs, and in a way nice. that was doing some damage to the store to the chain in general, right? Right. Yeah. So um, I kind of feel the same way as a, as a consumer. I don't want to 
I got my kids in the in the truck. I don't want to get out and traipse them through the store. I'd much prefer to go through the drive-through. So, um, so you're seeing a trend of the CVS and and the Walgreens and the Rite Aids that were in strip malls. They're they're closing those down and um, buying real estate on the corner. So you see a CVS on one corner and a Rite Aid on the other corner and a Walgreens on the on the third corner, um, all facing each other. But they all the new ones all have uh, have drive-throughs or, or double drive-throughs. Um, and that seems to be to be the trend. All the the older stores that we're used to seeing and um, that are connected to other buildings are they're starting to to shut down. But uh, but it's definitely a race between CVS and Walgreens to claim that they have the biggest number of uh, of pharmacy stores. So uh, they're they're both about the nine nine thousand ten thousand locations in in the continental U.S. Um, right now, and they're buying smaller little chains all the you know all the all the time to try and one up each other. I know there was a a chain over by us in, in Delaware called Happy Harry's that the Walgreens bought a couple of years back, and they still have the the looks of the Happy Harry's, but it's a it's a Walgreens sign on on the front. And uh, so, so why, um, you know, why not go into journalism? I mean, what what kept you from going into journalism as opposed to, you know, you stumbled across this opportunity and and uh, you know you've just gone to school, and that's something I can relate to. Right? But, right. You know what. Why yeah. why did you uh, choose to not pursue journalism as opposed to this? Yeah, I guess it, w- it was just timing. You know, as soon as I got out of school and um, a, a couple of friends had this this opportunity, which had a, a ton of travel, um, which just at the time I was right out of college and single. And, um, I traveled to, to all 50 states to um, to do sales and, and setups of these systems. So fly out of Baltimore on a, on a Tuesday and work you know all day Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and half day Friday and then the rest you know fly back on Friday night. So um that that part was was grueling but I I loved it. You know, I got to see uh got to see the the nation just by uh going to, to different retail pharmacies and they all kinda of looked the same on the inside but the drive between the pharmacies was uh was cool. Got to see uh see a lot of the tourist destinations all around around the country. Um and then eventually the owner of uh uh, Phil Master, which is the dispenser that goes on the wall, bought the company Flavor X in, in 2008, and that's kind of where I got introduced to the the water side of it. It was uh, um, he already had the the RO system kind of in place, and it was just a drop ship to pharmacies. There was no service end of it. Um, it was here's the instructions to the manufacturer, and uh, good luck getting put in and, and set up and working right. So that uh, obviously, if you're dealing with pharmacists, they just don't have the time or the know-how or the Really, the desire to, to install an RO or, or maintain it. Um, so that that didn't go so well after a few years, and then they eventually pitched a service plan. So you know we're, we'll do the install. We'll make sure it's set up just right. All the the lines are put you know put up nice and neat looking, and then we'll come in each year and service it. So we run the sanitizer through all the lines, calibrate the machine, um, make sure that the the quaternary ammonia is hitting all the parts of the of the system. Um, make sure the tank is full, um, charged, and, and whatnot. So it really cut down on the, the calls from angry customers saying, hey, this isn't working. You know, I bought this really expensive system, and I, I just can't figure it out. So um, it took a while to get that um, up and running. Uh, we had to use a lot of third-party um, vendors. Um, a lot of people I met at, at WQA would um, just get a card and say, hey, if we, gotta, if we get stuck, can I give you a call to, to visit these locations in your general area? And, um, call them up, and it would just be a an acute visit, what we call a service call to to, to fix something, to get something working right. Um, but now it's working working pretty smooth. So the, the stores know every year they 
we get the, the service tech that comes in, we'll update the software and the machine. And the machine, if you can um, picture, it looks really similar to the uh, to the valve head that we took apart yesterday with the printed circuit board, which controls a motor. Um, it's got you know, a couple, it's got a display that's connected to it. So, um, so the guys in the field are, are trained on how to replace parts inside the machine if something's going wrong. They can they can replace a pump or, or an airline or, or what have you. So that's cut down on warranty claims on equipment on machines and all, overall a more pleasant experience for the pharmacy staff because they don't have to worry about uh, changing filters themselves. You know, watching a YouTube video on how to how to run sanitizer through an RO, they just they don't have the desire one or or time to, to do that kind of stuff. So, so it was kind of yeah. interesting talking to you. Um, one second, um, it was kind of interesting talking to to you about uh, um, the challenges that you run into because you're using. I mean, this is basically just a 50 gallon a day membrane RO. It's a residential RO that you're installing under the sink yeah. there, and and uh, um, you know you mentioned that you get some bacteria growth or you were getting some bacteria growth and before you put in the, the UV um, nozzle. But yeah. talk a little bit about the challenge in, in getting the people in the pharmacy to understand that they have to use the system because you, you've got TDS creep, you know, you've got, if, right. if you're not emptying that, that storage tank, then you've, you've got TDS creep, you've got, um, uh, you know, you're, the, the, the systems are designed to be used at gallons per day, not at, at milk, you know, yep. at, at such a small amount. So, so talk yeah. a little bit more about the challenge to that. Sure, yeah, and, and uh, every every store is a little bit different. Some stores don't even know that they have an air gap faucet that has RO water. Um, so the the air gap faucet does not have the uh, the DI filter or the or the the UV on it. It's just the, the straight RO water. So we encourage the staff, you know, fill your Nalgene bottle, make your coffee with it, you use this RO like it's intended to be used. Um, but really, you know, you hire somebody new, they don't even they don't know what that little faucet is. They don't touch it. It never gets used. Um, you come in to do a service, sometimes it's just turn around backwards, not even facing the sink because nobody knows what it is or uses it. Uh, but when you look at stores, sometimes you know the one near us in downtown Baltimore, it's all business people. It's all pills. Um, the pharmacist there does maybe one reconstitution a month. So that system is probably the worst in the country. It just sits stagnant for you know 29 days. Um, she doesn't know what the faucet is. So the guys are going in there. We're um, having a real hard time keeping keeping that one running uh, great. So we, we had to do some stuff in the software on the machine, which actually sets the machine into a lockdown mode every every day at 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, the user, the pharmacy staff, has to run 500 ml through the machine um, into a bucket or a cup that they can then you know, toss down the, the sink just to, to get things moving, get uh, get water running through the machine, uh, reduce some biofilm on the, the internal components inside the machine as well as Inside the tubing, running from under the sink and over, uh, over to the machine, um, and it it has it's not an annoying beep, but uh, it kind of chirps at you every you know three minutes until you until you do that that process because um, you know they might have, they might be dealing with customers or they usually have five or five or six calls waiting for them to pick up. So um, so as long as they do it at some point during the day, they get their their flush through the through the software in the machine. Um, some stores uh, do it. Uh, Every Friday, they'll, they'll burn off one tank, they'll empty the tank at, at night, and then uh, put the air gap faucet handle down and let it refill. Um, the issue there is 
sometimes they'll walk away and forget to put the the handle back down. They come in in the morning and they have no water. So, well, then you got you got a, about a two or three hour wait before you're able to uh, to use the machine again. So, um, and that uh, that typically their California customers shy away from that. They just don't want to waste three gallons of water. But for those customers, we have the uh, you know the half liter kind of alarm, the daily flush. But uh, but the the stores in the suburbs, those are the ones that are using it the most. Uh, you know, they're probably using 10 to 15 prescriptions a day, which, you know, each one being 50 to 100 ml. So, um, so a liter to a liter and a half would be on the high end of of actually water that gets dispensed for a, a busy store. So it's uh, that's the the challenge on the other end of the spectrum from everybody else in the industry. We're we're dealing with super small amounts of water as opposed to trying to make a lot of water um, and get them to to keep it clean and, and to uh, keep it in good good working condition. Jen, you had a question? Yeah, I was um, back to when you were talking about servicing and things like that. So do you use your own service technicians or do you use like local dealerships that you've kind of partnered with to, to do the service? So uh, this year, modern day, we have, uh, we have about 20 guys around the country. Um, they all work um, out of their van at, from their home. And we just we drop ship uh, consumables to them for filters, sanitizer, membranes, and, and what have you. But before that, we were using a kind of a, a network of um, of a third parties um, that we we had that you know people that knew this RO that we knew we could call and they, they could go fix it or service it. And then uh, a couple different companies that had um, um, service techs doing um, actually one company was doing the, the misting in the uh, grocery stores. You know, in the produce section where you hear the thunder and the the, the water comes down, so they had an RO yeah. of their own, and they would pick up some of some of our uh, service visits, um, especially in the remote areas. You know, where we concentrate our techs in the in the major cities, but if we're got a, a store that's out in the middle of nowhere in Montana, we still got to get to them every year and, and service them. So they kind of pick up the the remote stores, but um, but now we're we're probably ninety uh, percent our own in house tech servicing and about ten percent outsourced. Okay. Anybody else have any questions for Dan? I, I have a, I do. Do they make yeah. coffee flavor for adults? <laughs> because I'd be all about taking medicine if they made coffee flavor. <laughs> so they they did. When I first started, there were 42 <laughs> flavors. And uh, funny enough, kids don't choose coffee flavor too often. So that, that just sat on the shelf and collected dust. So. Uh, grape, bubblegum, and watermelon is 90% of what we sell, and yeah, they, they kind of mixed chocolate, vanilla, coffee, pina colada. They just weren't selling. So. <laughs> was well, I was going to smell pina colada, but you know, being a you know, <laughs> Kahlua. It, it was interesting what you were talking about in terms of um, you know the the differences between the, the stores in the suburbs. Where there are a lot more kids there than the than the stores in the city where um, the machine's not used as much, and you know, just it, it's kind of interesting how much the demographics come into play on these types of things. Yeah, yeah, sure is, and and you kind of know when you're when you're in the neighborhood when you pull up into the parking lot, you can kind of tell it's like, all right, this this one's going to be busy, or you're downtown if you got to park three blocks away and and walk, you're like, well, this is there's no kids around here. This this store is going to be. Uh, be a mess because they haven't used it. Yeah. So this is, um, you know, what is the future? Do, do you have 
you know, where does the company go in terms of innovation or growth or, or any any plans for expanding that you can talk about? I mean, you know, what the, or is, is this the product and this is the company and and it's sure. what, what you do? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the next thing is the part of that USP regulation is all of the utensils that the, the store uses uh, technically are supposed to be rinsed with purified water. And then if you go back and look at the definition of purified water, it has to be hit that conductivity and that bacteria spec. So they can't use tap water to basically rinse the spatula that they're, you know, scraping pills on their pill counter into the, the bottle. So they they technically have a need for uh, a good volume of water that is uh, meeting that purified spec. Um, so there there is talks of, of making a, uh, a bigger RO or bigger capacity RO um, with the eye attached um, you know, that we would have to service more often than once a year, probably quarterly, um, to meet that spec. But it's it's super expensive and it's it's not enforceable. So it, you get the the purest pharmacists that want to be by the book will go for it, but other people are like this is this is crazy. The water just to to rinse a, a spatula knife is um, you know I'm not going to spend that kind of money on it. So um, so there is a market, but we don't really know what the appetite for for the pharmacist, if it you know if the chains are going to go forward, if it would just be a um, something that the independent pharmacist would would want to do and kind of sell them one at a time. Yeah, it's fascinating. I just I I find I mean just in talking to you about this and learning about it, and um, you know, uh, any other questions for Dan on this on this topic or or what he does? So Dan. Um, why, you know, since we have a couple minutes here, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about how how you and I came to know each other. So, um, you know, why are you in Michigan right now? And and tell me, you know, the, just in terms of what you do. I mean, you're you're clearly an expert on your side of the business, on the RO side, and and those types of things. Why did you find it beneficial to um, or have a desire to come? Uh, to Michigan to spend a couple of days with with uh, a guy with no voice. <laughs> sure, yeah, great question. Because uh, so I've been going to the WQA uh, conventions for pr- probably about the last ten years and hear all about the sophomores. But you know, I've seen pictures, I've seen them on the trade show floor, but really never never touched one. Never, I don't know what the resin feels like. I don't know how heavy they are. I don't know what goes on inside the the valve um, because it's not in our wheelhouse. We don't we don't sell those. We don't service them. Um, so you know, I, I had to learn about them for the the CWS back when it was three textbooks to to take the test, and I had no problem memorizing um, everything that was needed. But in terms of actually doing it, never never really had. So this was the the best opportunity to uh, to come out and for for a novice of a softener really learn what it is, how it works, how it gets installed, how it gets serviced, and um, and what all the terms are of the of the parts on the inside, you know, it's just stuff that we don't uh, we don't deal with at, at all. And and I've gone to a couple of the you know the, uh, WQA classes when they talk about a valve teardown, and uh, you know, I'm just my eyes just kind of glaze over. I'm like, I don't know what that is. I've you know never touched it. So um, this was it was a great opportunity. Just get get your hands on one, uh, open it up, see what the you know see how. And that's I love seeing how things work, especially on you know on our machine at back at the office with all the the solenoids and the valves and and what controls what so um so that was really a a cool thing to see just how the how the software works and you know probably 
one of the the only people walking the trade show floor that has no interest in in a softener when I'm walking through because it's just not what, what we do. So, so it was, it was kind of fun. You actually got to build a softener yesterday right. from scratch. We we put one together from from scratch, um, cut the distributor tube and put it in and filled it filled it with resin. Um, you cut into a live water line for the first time yesterday, right? So true. They, yeah, uh, absolutely. And then tore down a couple valves. Um, really, uh, really went through there. So. Yes, that's a self that's a um, self promoting uh, question. <laughs> Anybody else listening that that wants an opportunity to get their hands on on this stuff? Um, it's a it's a great facility. Um, any final thoughts or comments, Dan? Before we finish up here today, hey, I appreciate you inviting me, and, and thank you for having me out to uh, the, the beautiful Western Michigan to your facility to uh, to take your course and see how things work. I appreciate it. All right, everybody, that's, um, I appreciate everybody very much. Uh, we have one more call this year. Next week we will have a call next week, and then we'll take the, the rest of the year off um, before, uh, um, you know, for the holidays. But uh, we will hopefully see everybody here next week, and we will talk to you then. If not before, be safe, everybody. Thanks very much. Thanks.